listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Podcast, where we guarantee that the education will move you to action, just like if you drank a bottle of mag citrate. Welcome, everyone, to episode four, where we're going to be talking about medication errors here on the LTC Pharmacy Podcast. You might be wondering to yourself, why in the world are we talking about med errors? Well, actually, they're very, very prevalent in the senior care industry, skilled nursing facility, assisted living environment. We see them quite frequently. In fact, there's a lot of studies out there. One study found that 48% of, of errors are caused by human error. Uh, Other studies show that the environment plays a role like shortage of staffing or education levels. And OIG actually found that over 60% of adverse effects that happen in the senior care setting in the skilled nursing facility, assisted living setting are actually preventable. And so this is a huge topic and one that we need to explore a little bit more. And we're excited to have a guest host. Tamara, would you like to tell us a little bit about her? I would love to tell you about her. We have Laura Finn here with us today. She's a board-certified geriatric pharmacist. She's an independent consultant pharmacist, just like me, which is super fun, Um, mostly working in the skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. And she's also an adjunct professor at her alma mater, the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. So welcome, Laura. And if you could tell us a little bit about uh, more about yourself. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you all here today, Tamara and Scott. Um, It's my pleasure to to be here. Uh, I never miss an opportunity to talk about medication errors or med safety or um, increasing awareness about that. It's something that's always been a passion uh, ever since I really started pharmacy school and got into um, my residency in geriatrics and kind of saw that um, there was a potential for a lot of medication errors out there in the long-term care setting. you know, with the move towards a more electronic systems, kind of thought maybe we wouldn't have so many medication errors. Even in fact, I had a director of nursing tell me when they moved from paper to electronic, Laura, we won't have any more med errors. You'll never see another one, no emissions. Um, and, and that's really not true. We've seen a different kind of medication error. So uh, I just enjoy the opportunity to to speak on this topic and also share it with my students and, and those listening to your podcast. This is great. And it's perfect timing because soon in October, you're going to be presenting at the annual ASCP meeting on mid-air. So we hope all our listeners are going to plan on attending that meeting and um, get to hear Laura's talk. And also Scott is getting a bit of big award at the meeting. So that will be fun. I'm I'm with two awesome just giants in long-term care pharmacy, and I'm so grateful. So to start off this talk today, um, we're going to talk about some of the most common mid-airs we see. And one that I see often, and I don't know if this is going to be part of the ones that you see too, is, for example, if they're on several strengths of the same medication. So if a patient's on gabapentin and they take 100 milligrams twice a day, let's say morning and noon, but 300 milligrams at bedtime, I see a lot of that getting confused where they're going to get the wrong dose at the wrong time. Maybe they're going to get 300 in the morning instead of 100, but um, just the wrong strength of medication. So if you could start us off by just telling us some of the top medication errors that you see in the senior care setting. Yeah, that's a really good a good example to start there. You know, making sure that the resident gets the right dose. And it could be something like a different dose, different time of day. Um, and I see that problem as well. 
Uh, it could it could be how it's packaged. You know, when we see something like um, maybe sertraline 75 milligrams and the nurses are used to seeing one and a half tablets packaged of the 50 milligrams in, in blister cars or, or in some other packaging. And then the pharmacy changes and they start packaging them differently. And, you know, now they have to start looking for a 50 milligram and a 25 milligram dose to, to put it together. Um, and that kind of sets them up, you know. Packaging isn't consistent, um, even within the same pharmacy. That that can be a problem for our nursing staff. Same way with um, the labeling. You know, when when things are are packaged different or labeled differently, that sets them up for for um, potential errors. I find particularly concerned with insulin pens and labeling. Um, again, with how they're packaged, sometimes they may have a label on an outer outer packaging, and you know, you've got three pens or five pens in there, and pens go onto the cart and now we, we've kind of lost that labeling or um, someone's handwriting labeling. And so that that's a, a real concern and, and a safety issue, but an infection control issue too. Um, more in the medication administration, oh, there's just so many opportunities for air. You know, we have residents getting, you know, 17 medications a day um, with polypharmacy. It, it really increases the likelihood that something's given at the wrong time, um, something is not scanned properly or not removed from the packaging properly or crushed inappropriately. Those are all um, available errors that, that our poor individual nurse, or if it's a medication aid, perhaps in, in those settings that they're allowed, um, those errors are, are problems for them. I love how you brought that up, Laura, because there's so many potentials in the senior care setting, in the skilled nursing facility setting for an error to occur. And I think that's something that probably many of us that are listening in on this don't really consider that much is that these, you know, you just think MedPass is something that's just straightforward, but there's so many potentials there. I mean, just even distractions from other residents and different things that might lead to a, an error prone administration. So I appreciate all those examples for sure. Anything else? Well, you know, you mentioned interruptions. Um, interruptions during the med pass really are, can cause some serious consequences. And sometimes when we, as pharmacists, are observing the nurse, we're a witness, you know, a direct witness to it. They get interrupted by a, an aide or resident falls, something stops them, and then immediately thereafter, they, they make a mistake. There's something that changed in, in their procedures, um, and that could lead, lead to that type of an error. So um, interrupt, interruptions, lighting can be a problem as well. You know, the environment around them, um, the noise of the environment, the phone calls going off, uh, and, and the lighting and, and lack of um, clarity in, in looking at our medications. Another thing I, I wanted to mention as far as packaging, you know, we have residents coming in with medications in various forms of packaging. So if, you know, maybe 80% of the residents' meds are packaged by a single provider pharmacy in a very um, accountable fashion, you might have some of these other medications coming in or in different packaging. And it may not match up with something like your barcode scanning. So then we have workarounds and, you know, everyone develops workarounds. We do it. You probably do it in, in your day-to-day -day getting your podcast ready as well. But workarounds in, in medication safety or steps in the medication use process can lead to that error, and it could be significant. So let's talk about the next area uh, of G-tubes. I think the dreaded medication G-tube process, and we've seen this through the years. I've been a consultant for long enough now that I've seen it kind of changed from the cocktailing time to when they said, don't do that anymore. So let's talk about some of the errors that are commonly seen with crushing meds and with G-tubes. Yeah, you know, crushing meds, even outside of the G-tube, we, we have problems with the crushing of meds. 
I think everyone has this nice, you know, standard order, may crush all crushable meds. Wow. That really does not help us a whole lot, right? It's, right. Not, it's not identifying what, what we shouldn't be crushing. So we kind of really want that on, on specific meds that we cannot crush. You know, you need that, that out there. But particularly when you're looking at a G-tube, so much can go wrong again with the G-tube itself. And if you're crushing inappropriate medications um, or if you're crushing and, and making that cocktail still, um, not using the right amount of fluid or you're limited on, on fluid and that's not done correctly, then you can have, besides having um, problems with the medication outcome, you may also have a blocked G-tube and you may have a you know an ER visit um, that may lead to that. So there's financial implications as well. Uh, I've seen orders for you know bisphosphonate to a uh, type of bisphosphonate to be crushed, put down the G tube, and, and you know a resident that has to lie flat, they're they're bedridden, um, can't really sit up upright. So there's so many things wrong with that particular situation. Yeah, that's a good point. And the the whole point of preventing med errors is not wanting the patient to suffer. And so if your med error causes a patient to have to go to the emergency room, you know, what if they have dementia and that disrupts their environment? So we certainly want to prevent the med errors for a lot of reasons, but mostly because we want to keep the patient safe and we want them to have the best outcome possible. But when, he, um, when we talk about med errors, another one is, you know, dealing with electronic records. And you kind of, you know, alluded to this in your intro with converting from paper charts to electronic charts, how we thought that this was going to change things and make med errors go away. But in a certain sense, maybe we've created a little more. Can you speak to the electronic records and types of med errors you see with electronic records? Yeah, there really is some good data out there saying that some types of errors have gone down. You know, misinterpreting handwritten prescriptions, um, that's gone down. You know, we, we the lookalikes, soundalikes, we still have concern because we do get verbal orders. So that, that could be a concern. But looking at you're not deciphering handwritten um, prescriptions as much. However, that whole order entry process is a real challenge. Um, and, and it could be a real challenge if you have particularly maybe an LPN working in your facility only on the weekends or works for a few different nursing homes and they have different systems of order entry. And so deciphering the process of entering the order, choosing a drug off a drop down menu. Um, there's a lot of guidance out there. ISMP, Institute for Safe Medication Practice, does provide guidance. You know, but we shouldn't be just putting two letters in there and choosing from the drop down menu what what product we, we want. Um, but, you know, you can put five letters in and still end up with cyclopentylate instead of cyclosporine if you choose the wrong drug on a drop down menu. Um, and then you have to get the right dose. So are we looking at a half a tablet, which 0.5 tablet needs to be you know, included in the order? Are we having a challenge of putting the correct span in on um, the duration of an order? Um, even the informatics. So, you know, I think clinical informatics is so important. And I, I really hope that we have pharmacists out there, you know, pharmacy school um, students that are interested in that, because that really is something that we need pharmacists to be more involved in, in developing the warning systems, in helping us with this order entry so that it's it's not as challenging, so that we have some real fail-safe kind of uh, uh, stops in our process if we enter something incorrectly to prevent us from putting the wrong route in, say, for medication or the wrong, um, too high of a dose in, you know. It's possible with computers. And I expect that of our computer systems. And in long-term care, I don't see it. You know, maybe better in the hospitals, but what about you? Did you see that in, in long-term care? Are you seeing that we're really helped a lot by our clinical support there? You know, it, there's much room for improvement. And I, I love how you, you said that because really 
Just like in any type of pharmacy, we heavily rely on computer systems to catch and prevent a lot of errors that might be human prone, that we are tired and just, you know, we're, we're prone to errors. We're human beings, right? So I love how you, you brought that up because there is a lot of room for improvement with all types of EHR software out there, pharmacy software out there to try to get in front of this and really help the facilities and ultimately help the, the patients themselves. Absolutely. You know, and I think that whole um, electronic systems kind of plays into the problems with medication reconciliation as well. So our, unfortunately, you know, our residents do fall and they do go to the ER and they do go into the hospital and have acute changes. Um, and then that process of making sure that the right medications are administered in the hospital setting and then upon discharge back into transitioning into long-term care um, is fraught with more opportunities for, for misinterpretation whether it's you know entering the hospital and all of a sudden their their old medication list is is there things that we've discontinued before or um what i've been seeing lately is on on discharge from the hospital the uh, medications that may have been prn uh going into the hospital and really weren't used in the hospital sometimes they come out and the prn is lost and i've i've seen a few cases out there in the assisted living world where you've got a resident receiving that um acetaminophen 650 milligrams every 6 hours around the clock or or worse even lorazepam you know every 8 hours around the clock where they were prn orders that were infrequently used before hospitalization um so we need to identify that we need to find um better interoperability between our our acute and our our post-acute settings, um, and then really have the procedures in place to identify those discrepancies and, and act on them. I agree with you. When, when I'm working in a long-term care pharmacy, I honestly dread a readmission more than an admission because they're more work and you're sitting there trying to decide, well, this says to continue, you know, whatever it might be, donepazil five milligrams at bedtime, but that was DC two weeks ago. Do they know it was DC two weeks ago? Is this, are we restarting it? And then to try to call the floor at the hospital to talk to the hospitalist is nearly impossible. And so then you're relying on the primary care provider to then decipher it the next day when they see the patient. So then what do you do that day until they're seen the next day? And it just gets to be really messy. So I agree that we have work to do on the MedRec process with hospital readmissions, and we could certainly improve that process if anyone has great ideas on how to do that, or maybe you, Laura, have good ideas on how to improve that process. We really need to keep track of things we've deprescribed. So, you know, you mentioned the donepazil being stopped. We may put a lot of effort in working with our team to have something that's no longer an important medication for the, the resident and have it stopped and then, you know, have it suddenly restarted on, on a discharge um, is a real problem. Yeah, we have to go through over again. Well, and, you know, I think what I would love to see is, like you mentioned, this kind of connection between the different types of care settings and their software is working together to help a facility. Because, I mean, if any of us listening in has looked at any type of admission process or readmission from a hospital setting, depending on the hospital, you may have 60, 80 pages of paperwork that you're trying to decipher through and figure out what has been discharged, what has been continued. And let's not even get into the home med list that is probably been completely ignored or the previous uh, orders are just being continued that were from the previous state. There's so many, so much room for uh, error there and so much room for improvement. And I think if we could get those softwares to communicate, 
and try to take some of that work off of the human beings, trying to <laughs> reconcile all of that, that would be a helpful process. I think, Laura, one of the biggest areas that we wanted to bring up is obviously when you talk about medication errors, and some of the studies even point to this, there's educational opportunities. But like I tell my team all the time, sometimes you just do Band-Aid fixes that really don't fix the systemic problem that we're seeing. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are some ways to identify some system errors and, and interventions going beyond just educating those people that are involved? Yeah, you know, we really need to look beyond the nurse made that error, you know, and so this is their third error and they're on probation, that kind of an attitude. We really need to ask the question. So why was uh, the medication administered when the blood pressure was outside the parameter? What steps did you take? How does everyone else handle it? You know, going into what is the procedure so that you can determine what's the setup of a problem? Is it the fact that we're using greater than or less than symbols, which are not advised to be used? Is it that some, you know, and I've seen this, that some of the nurses think that by putting their initials in on a medication that has a holding parameter, they're signifying that they check the parameter. However, it's saying administered. So was the dose administered or not? So is it a documentation issue? Um, and really asking those questions. It's really, you know, going back to root cause analysis, um, involving others on the team, you know, uh, not just the, the single nurse that may have brought the, um, the error to your attention, but others within the team. And if it's something involving the pharmacy the same way, you know, why are they packaged in such a fashion that we're getting set up for errors? Is there, is there you know, information being exchanged so that a change could be made on their end? Um, and even with reconciliation, for a few years, I actually joined um, a hospital medication reconciliation committee uh, and, and was kind of the outside pharmacist that represented long-term care with them to talk about why uh, we needed them to tell us when the antibiotic was started so we knew when to stop it. Um, and that was kind of like a couple of years. That's the only point that I really got across to them so we knew that information. But we had that one change made. They were really not aware of what things look like from the post-acute setting. So talking to those uh, people that have an impact that are on other parts of the team, looking into the root causes and looking for where in the system the errors um, could be prevented. Um, another thing that I've done is I always have um, every report I have, there's a medication error prevention. So whether it's a quarterly summary, a monthly summary, um, a coffee report, um, I have that in there and I always highlight something. It might be a near miss, something that almost happened. Uh, it might be something I heard about, you know, through ISMP or through the literature, but to get the team thinking, because you have that, you know, you have that interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary team that's reading these reports um, and need to have their awareness increased. So then they can maybe devote resources um, and, and time. It takes some time to make those connections, but we need to involve other members on the team. I really like that idea. When you do that mid-error report where you give some tips and highlight like a mid-error and how it might have been prevented, how do you go about doing that? Do you send that to the DON and then she disseminates it? Do you email it out to the facility or what's your process there? So part of, you know, if it's the monthly summary, then it's just part of that monthly summary. I just keep that header. Um, you know, here are maybe three things that I'm talking about in this monthly summary, you know, talking about vaccines, talking about um, some drug information, highlighting a drug being used, but medication error prevention would be in there. And I would just think of something that needed to be highlighted for that month. 
it would go into, and there would be no patient names. So that page, um, that would be a separate page that would be uh, available to all the nurses. Sometimes it's posted even within the nursing station because it just had information that um, was not HIPAA protected information. Uh, same way when they're with, with um, if it's going to other sources, going to the pharmacy as well, if um, they receive a copy of that report. I love that. I mean, let's prevent med errors by learning from our own mistakes, but let's also learn from other people's mistakes as well. One thing that I've noticed that's really helped in some of my facilities is when there's an order change, you know, let's say levothyroxine was changed from 75 microgram to 88. When the order is changed, have the nurse go pull that med right away. Just go pull it, get it out of the cart. That way, when they put it in the med room, it you know, signals pharmacy, oh, this was pulled out of the med cart, something changed with it. And then it's not in the med cart, so it won't be administered. So I think just having that one action, although it does take some time, you know, you get an order, you have to go pull it. It is so helpful in preventing med errors and just signaling everyone around you that, hey, a change happened. And so that we don't keep administering that DC med. That's, that's a really excellent idea. It really should be part of the policy. This is what happens. And, you know, when nurses are being trained, you want the nurse that's following that policy to be doing the training um, because we see so many DC meds on the cart. Um, and sometimes it's frustrating because some of them are controlled medications. And if they're sitting on the cart, gosh, the possibilities for, you know, whether it's diversion or just plain old error, um, pulling out the wrong dose strength and giving it to the, um, another resident, the removing those DC meds is really uh, what we want them to be doing. So you just talked about controlled meds. One question we had that we hadn't got to yet is I know my facilities are not the only ones who struggle with this, but the liquid morphine specifically, those counts get off so quickly. Um, and I don't know if there's over, overfill or underfill or if it's because of, you know, the syringe and the dosing, but how do you go about dealing with, you know, your liquid lorazepam or liquid morphine being off in count? Yeah, that really, that really is a common problem everywhere. Um, and I know I, I kind of like looked into CMS guidance on this a few times because I think it's important to know that they are aware. And so if you go into Appendix PP, they actually have about a page and a half really detailing some of the things to think about with the controlled medication being off. Uh, but there's the expectation that manufacturers have maybe up to two and a half mLs over or under fill. And it's such a challenge when you get the vial or the, the container because usually they're opaque. You know, you're looking at that labeling, whether it was a sticker labeling or indentations, are they accurate? Um, is, is it something that... Um, We've just assumed that we have the correct volume that's on the label to start with. Uh, I kind of always want to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding if the, the count is off, whether it's potentially diversion or if it's potentially medication error and is it impacting the, the resident or is it just something like overfill? So you can kind of identify them a little bit. Um, you can look at if you're thinking diversion was the change sudden. Uh, that we had you know, one volume one day and the next day it's, it's a lot different. You can also think about whether the patient um, is having medication doses that are either documented or um, is not experiencing the pain relief from doses that they're supposedly being given um, to identify there. Is the viscosity change? You know, we used to say is the color change, but some of them are clear, right? So you can't tell color changes if they're clear. Uh, it's important that when nurses notice the count not being accurate, they, they don't let it go for days. And their policy should reflect 
who do I, you know, immediately talk to? Is it the nursing supervisor, ADON? Um, so get some other look, looking at, have eyeballs looking at that particular count. Um, are there signs that something was spilled? You know, are there crystals formed around the syringe? We see that. We see the crystals that, you know, may form around uh, um, parts of the box. So you know there's, there's that possibility you're losing small amounts that way. But also, you want to make sure the doses that are signed on your MAR um, are also signed on the controlled sheet. And um, if you've ever gone up to a card, and I'm sure you have, and the nurse says, oh, before you check the controls, I have to sign off my morning meds. I'm like, no, <laughs> we want them signed you know, at the time they're given so that we don't forget to sign them off. And so that, that you know, taking a look and, and tracking back, are all the doses on the MAR and the volumes that should be signed off um, correctly on the control sheet? And have they subtracted correctly? Um, sometimes 0.75 mLs, you know, subtracting it a few times, people just kind of, you know, mess right. up along. So there's a, some of the things I think of, but there really are a lot. There are a lot of challenges, um, but mostly it's, you know, is the resident getting the pain relief? You know, I've seen diversion from pharmacy delivery person right up to a DON. And um, the DON was controlled meds that were, you know, signed off for the patient, but not being given. And so that was, um, that was, that was tough. I was, I was in a facility filling in while someone was on a maternity leave and um, just happened to come across that. So um, it's a challenge. Well, I absolutely love this talk. I mean, we could, we could probably spend hours just going through different examples that we've seen in, in the skilled nursing facility setting. And Laura, you've given us a lot of really good information. And hopefully everybody that's listening in, listened in detail. There's probably so many questions that they have. You can send those into the Pharmacy Podcast Network uh, Gmail account that we set up for our LTC Pharmacy Podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you're coming to ASCP, make sure to tune in to Laura's presentation on medication errors. I love this, Laura. I appreciate you taking the time today. And it's a great reminder of the impact that we can have as pharmacy professionals, as pharmacists on these settings that we're in in senior care and what kind of an impact we can have working together to try to achieve less medication errors and help the overall quality of care for these residents. So thank you again for being on the show today, Laura. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you both. And I look forward to seeing you at ASCP. Yes, look forward to seeing you there. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you.